do, we're going to finish up the chapter, hopefully today. We're going to start down in verse 24 and uh, run down to verse 32 and uh, do some things this morning and then uh, we'll uh, wrap it all up in a nice little bow next Sunday morning. But we're going to look at the verses and stuff this morning. Again, we've, we're coming into that charge number one. There are seven charges that the Apostle Paul, God through the Apostle Paul is going to lay out and lay against man. And that first charge starts in verse 19, runs down to verse 32, and that's that issue of man willfully rejecting the testimony that God's given him. And the fact is, is that we have seen the testimony that God gave him in verse 19 and 20, that internal testimony, that thumbprint of a of a God in, in, inside of man. That's why man drifts to worshiping different things. We were talking about the football draft. There are people that worship that. That's, where, that's their religion. Why is that? Well, because inside of man, there's this propensity to know that there's something bigger out there. Uh, they have different, they call him different names. We call him God because that's who he is. And then God said, well, not only that, but I'm going to give you an external in the creation around you so, that you so that the internal and the external will work together. Paul has laid out the first charge there in verse 19 and 20. And then in verse 21, man responds to that. And they respond by, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish hearts was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. So man's response, back up there in verse 18, the end of the verse, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Man's response was to suppress the truth, was to hold the truth hold it down there, change it. They change the glory of God, and, and they, they mess with him. So then God is going to respond now, and God's response uh, is with judgment. And that's what verse 24 to 32 is going to cover. We see God abandon man. And the judgment here of God against humanity as a, as a whole and God, here's what God imposed on man, verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the man, I'm sorry, the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves what recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all. And then the list, we're not going to read the list there, verse 29, 30, 31, 32, the list all the way down. So 
when God, when this, God is simply responding to man. That's the, the, the thing here. When we get over, we start in chapter 2 here, we're going to see where man is going to now begin to raise up a defense. And there are going to be really some silly defenses. There are really going to be some, some things of, well, really, you know, and chuckles and this and that. And God's just going to shut it all down. And really, if, if, if you look over at chapter 3 with just real quick, God is simply responding to man. The continual rejection to the light that God had given man, man has rebelled against that. We looked last time in the Psalms and they said, we don't want you. Depart from us. Well, eventually what is God going to say? Okay, that's what you want. Romans 3 there, verse uh, 19, we've seen this verse now. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. You know, I think about it, it's like that nagging kid, you know, right? You know, just nag, 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 nag. But when you tell them to do something, they reject it. So what we have here back in chapter 1 now is a picture of a point in time where God simply says, enough. And abandons man. And abandons humanity. Let's them go. You want it, you got it. There's an old saying um, that uh, I've heard over the years, and it's real simple. It says, God is a gentleman. Well, he'll give you what you want, is what he's going to, he, he doesn't violate free will and your, and your desire, your volition. You say, hey, I don't want you, which is what man has done. I don't need you. I don't want you around. I want you to leave. And God says, okay, I'll leave. Man says, depart. God says, okay, I'm out of here. So what we see here now in chapter 1 is a historical event in time where God, where man has willfully said to God, get out of here. We don't want you. We can do it ourselves. We can move it and do it our, what we want. And God says, okay, you got it. So verse 24, wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. I love the way verse 25 ends, who is blessed forever. You know, God is blessed you can try and hold the truth of, down. You can try to change the truth. But you know what? God is who he is. He, that never changes. Verse 26, for this cause God gave them up unto a vile affection. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. There's three declarations there. And, and by the way, verse 29 to 32, you ought to read the list sometime, because, and, and, we, and we will here as we go down. But that list is the, the items that fill man's heart. What fills it up, verse 29, being filled with all. 
there's, a, there's something going on inside of man now. They have, if you think about verse 19, there's an internal witness that there is a God. They've removed God, so they have to fill that vacancy. They fill that void. We'll talk about that here a little bit more. So you have three declarations. You have a three-step process here. Verse 24, God also gave them up to uncleanliness. Verse 26, God gave them up unto vile affections. And then in verse 28, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Three, there's a three-step deal here. Now, by the way, we'll look at this next week because verse 24, they went and they dishonored their own bodies. So there's a, there's a thing there where God gave up man in their body compartment. Verse 26, God gave them up to vile affections and they, and they move away from the natural. Now there's the soul. And then in verse 28, over to a reprobate mind, there's the spirit. So the three parts of man, God has completely given up man wholly, completely. He's abandoned him. And, and now when I say abandoned, <laughs> he didn't leave himself without a witness. That's what verse 19 and 20 is. He doesn't, he doesn't say, he looks at... If you think about historically, come back to me, with me to Genesis 11. <clears throat> the, the thing, the question is, in, in Romans 1, when did God give up man? That's really the question. And there's a point in historically in Scripture. And in Bible study, there, there's a thing called the subsequent narrative, way of studying in your Scripture. In other words, you read about an event. You, you've got Genesis. Look over at Genesis 6, just real quick here. There, there's a thing about subsequent narrative where you'll read about an event, but you don't get all of the information, and then later you get more information in another place in Scripture. In Genesis 6, you have Noah, verse 1, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God, the angels there, saw the daughters of men and took them and so forth. And then you see God judge man with the flood in the rest of chapter 6, 7, 8, okay, over to 9. So then, all right, so you, you, know, you study that, and you're going, okay, cool, and you're moving through but then come all the way over to the book of Jude. To the book of Jude. A subsequent narrative, subsequent information pops up here in Jude. And it's verse number 6. Jude 6. He says, And the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation. He hath reserved an everlasting chains unto darkness unto the judgment of the great day. That verse is giving you some details about the stuff that happened. When did the angels leave their first estate? In Genesis 6. They left their estate, their habitation. They came down to the earth and they mingled amongst men. But they were judged. You don't know that till you read Jude 6. 
Because in Genesis 6, it's all about God bringing the flood and judging man. Because Genesis, its point of view is judging man. You, you come on over in Jude and look at verse 14. Jude 14. And Enoch, also the, sev uh, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints. When do, where do we ever read about Enoch saying anything? We don't, except for Jude 14. Now, Enoch is back there with Noah in Genesis 5 and 6, see? <laughs> but, but you don't read anything. Now, come back to Genesis 11. Well, actually, Genesis 9. So you have this thing in Romans 1 where we're gonna, Paul's giving us information about a, a time in history where God, where man knew God and they glorified him not as God. And then God gave them up and let them go. And historically, that's Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel. And, and there and starting in verse 1. But it's an interesting thing in what God's going to do to man here. Because he has told man, Genesis 9, verse 1, Noah, God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That's what they are to do. Same thing he told Adam in chapter 1. And what he's going to do with man here now in Genesis 11, he can't flood the earth again. He made the promise not to. So God does, doesn't just shut man down. Rather, he's given man an opportunity with Noah to do what they're supposed to do. They've rejected him. So rather than just wiping out humanity and starting all over, and, you know, he said that to Moses. I'll just kill them all and start over with you. <laughs> Moses says, you can't do that. You, you gave your word to Abraham. Can't do that, <laughs> you know. I don't think, I think the Lord knew that. He just was, he's, he, I, he says, I repent of making man. I, if I, I, but he can't, he can't go wipe them out again. So he does the, the next best thing, if you will, <laughs> if there is a best thing to wiping out humanity. And that is he let man go to his own devices, to his own thing. God doesn't just simply shut man down. Rather, he gives man an opportunity to participate in what he's doing. He gives man an opportunity to respond to his word, and man doesn't. Look at chapter 11. This is where the events in Romans 1 happen. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. One. So what did they all know? Everybody knew what? They knew God. Now again, we said it last week, when he says they knew God, it isn't that they knew everything about God. They just knew that there was a God. That internal and external evidence. They knew that there was someone bigger than them. Verse 2. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Now Shinar is very interesting. Because Shinar is on the east side of the Euphrates. If you come over to, into, across the page there in chapter 10, verse 8, there's a reason why these guys landed in Shinar to do what they're going to do. Chapter 10, verse 8. 
And Cush begat Nimrod, he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod the hunter, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Now Babel becomes Babylon, which then when you run all the way to the end of the book in Revelation, that ends up being one of the main headquarters of the adversary. So if you think about the Euphrates River running here on the east side, which will be this side because that's east, <laughs> is going to be Shinar. And on the west side is going to be the land that God promised Abraham when we get to Abraham later in the book of Genesis. And Lot, when they go out and he says, you go that way and I'll go this way. So what did Satan do with man? Well, verse 3. And they said, they, man, all, the one speech, the one language, the whole earth said one to another, go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. And, and they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. What did they do? What did Satan do with man? He says, listen, you guys, I, we were talking about this a couple months ago in, this, in the second hour stuff about the adversary. He says, I got the hidden information. I got wisdom that God doesn't want you to know, but I know. So you guys just go right over here and build you a city, government, rule, organization, society. Every city in Scripture, except for one, has been, was built in rebellion to the word of God. Cain was told to, to be a vagabond. He built the city. They've been told, chapter 9, scatter, replenish the earth, fill it back up. What did they go do? They built the city. Man's response to the word of God was one of rebellion. So the adversary comes in and says, okay, let's just go over here and let's get the city built but then let's build a tower. Now, a tower in Scripture is a is a, it, it, it's a it's like it's a religious mechanism. It's like a worship center. The Lord in, in Psalms he says, "I am I, the Lord, am Israel's tower." So it's it's a it's a spiritual thing here. And what they did was they built a worship center. center and they are tr they're trying, the top may reach into heaven. Now, he's not talking about the space shuttle shooting off into heaven. But rather, this issue of coming in and, and worshiping, looking for that spiritual need that they had in that, those witnesses, trying to fulfill them. They're fascinated with the heaven, by the way. It's interesting. They know something's missing, so they're trying to fill the void, fill the vacuum, if you will. Man's holding down the truth, and they're beginning to worship the creature more than the creator here. See, okay? That's what they're doing. Verse 5, and the Lord came down. Now, that, that's not a good thing when the Lord comes down. <laughs> to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. Again, by the way, again, at the end there, verse 4, they were told to be scattered abroad. They said, let us make us a name. 
Here's insignificant dirt man. When you think about man, humanity, God made us out of dirt, dust. We can't go up and down. We're, we're stuck here to the earth. And they want recognition and fame and notoriety. By the way, that's that stuff about Nimrod being a mighty hunter before the Lord. That's all popularity. That's not a good statement about Nimrod. What Nimrod did was he rolled in and said, I will be your provider. We'll learn later in Exodus, there's a, there's a man by the name of Jehovah that says, I am, fill in the blank. Nimrod's already said it to him, to man. I'll take care of you. I will provide for you. You just need to come up here and do what I'm going to tell you to do. He's a politician. <laughs> okay. Verse 5, the Lord comes down. Again, that's not good. Verse 6, quickly here. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they began to do. And no, now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have, noticed, imagined to do. Man is now, at this point, in complete and absolute rebellion. Now, the, Lord's gonna, the Lord has reached over to a man by the name of Abram already and began to, in Genesis 12. If you read Genesis 12, those first four or five verses there are all in a past tense. The Lord has looked at humanity. They're all doing their thing. He says, that's okay. I'm going to pull out a people that are going to be my people and he reached down there into Terah and to Abraham and uh, Abram there and pulled out him and set him up and said, you're going to be my guy. So God has, man has, is in absolute rebellion. They don't want God. And in verse 6 there of chapter 11, there's nothing that will restrain them. That's why when you read those verses in Romans, we'll see over there, 29 to 32, it gets worse and worse and worse. There's just no restraint. They're just running with it. So, again, God can't flood man out. He's, he, he can't wipe them off. He's promised not to do that. So then he decides, again, to create his own group of people, at Genesis 12, the nation of Israel, ultimately. But then he does something, verse 7. He judge, he, there's a judgment placed on them. Go to, let us go down. And there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. That's why the speaking in tongues in Acts 2 is so critical that you see Israel able to do that. Because when the Holy, Ghost, the Holy Spirit's poured on them in Acts 2, that reverses this judgment. Because now his people, the little flock, can now talk to who? Everybody. Okay? What did he do? He's trying to restrain man's imagination. You see, he's trying to retard the evil. He's trying to slow it down. Verse 8, so the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of the called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of the earth. We have Babel. We've got a, an outpost, an early headquarters of the adversary, right across the river from God's people. Okay? So there's more going on here than just they were building this a, a Sunday school story. 
There's a, there, the adversary is at work. Come on over to Acts 17. We've got to get back over into Romans 1, but Acts 17. You see, there's more going on here than just a little ditty to build a tower and do all this stuff. And God comes down and, you know, confound the, the old story is, as I look over there to, to Ray and say, pass me the hammer. And he thought I said, throw a brick at me. So he throws a brick. So now we have discord, you know, now we're all this stuff. It's more than that. The adversary has come in and told man, I, follow me, join me, because I've got the answer that that big old meanie over there doesn't want you to have. Come over here and do, let's do something. Let's serve the creature more than the creator because he just, he says he wants you to know, but he really doesn't. Because if he did, the same thing he did to Adam and Eve in the garden, he's been doing to man ever since. In Acts 17, we have Paul. He goes up on Mars Hill. He's there in Athens and Greece. He's going to be talking to the Epicureans and the Stoics. And he's going to say to them in verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars and said, Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. Boy, isn't that the truth? And that's religion. <laughs> Put in your thing. It's what it is. For as I passed by and behold your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Notice uh, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you. He's talking about the God of the Bible. But notice how far man has slid. They knew God and now they have an idol over here to the unknown God. They have taken God where he should have been, and they've reduced him to, an, we don't know him. We don't know you. We don't want you. God says, okay, I give you up. And now Paul shows up 2,000 years later, or 3,000 years, or however long it is from the Tower of Babel, and what do they got? They're too superstitious, and religion has completely replaced God with 30,000 or whatever other things. So Paul says, verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is in the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Now, those are two very interesting verses because Basically, Paul is saying he's the creator, but it's also saying, look at man. They're still looking for who to worship. They're still looking for something to fill that vacuum up that they, when they dismiss God, man is still craving spiritual issues. That's why you'll hear like Oprah back when she was popular. She would say, your spirituality is yours. You figure it out for you. Rather than saying the God of the Bible and here he is, she would say, you're on your own, you know, or whatever. And before Oprah, it was Dr. Phil. I remember Dr. Phil, <laughs> you know. And it was all that, that self-awareness stuff. Verse 26. Again, there in verse 24 and 25, Paul's like, you guys are worshiping here. You've got a temple. You've got a church building full of stuff. And you're missing the guy who's the creator. What did he give them? Life and breath and all things. 
Verse 26, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. That's all the way back in Genesis 10. That's where he just drug you to, that they should seek. Why did he do that? That they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Look at that. Paul says, you guys are out here walking around in a dark room, and the Lord is standing right over there by the door. He's in the same room with you. He's just sitting right there, and all you had to do was go look for him. That verse over in Hebrews, where, he sa- where the writer of Hebrews says, uh, he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Why? Because he had set that up. Verse 28 For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto any gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's devices." We are the offspring of God. He did create us. He did put it all in. And you guys are over here looking for him in the dark room. But now watch verse 30, because this is the greatest verse in this. And the times of this ignorance. Notice how he calls this time. God did what? Winked at it. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. This time of your ignorance out here of running around, you know, Dad always said it's a blind bat flying backwards in a dark cave. I got to get all the bees in there, you know. You guys have been out here roaming around looking. God winked at it. Now, time passed. You're running around. And he's talking to the Gentiles. Now, God has, has done what? He's renewed an opportunity for man to respond positively to Paul's gospel. Could that word repent, change your thinking, change your mind. Man needs to start thinking properly about all this, about the creator and religion and what's going on. So come back to Romans 1. So when we start here in verse 24, I got 20 minutes to do 18 verses, <laughs> or seven or eight verses here, and it's okay. When when we start here in verse 24, God has abandoned man. It happened historically at the Tower of Babel. That's all what all that is, and you got to see that. And when God God wanted God abandoned man because it is what what man wanted, so God gave it to him. Notice in verse 24, wherefore God also gave them up. Two, uncleanliness. Verse 26, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. The middle of verse 28, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. God doesn't make anyone behave in uncleanliness. God doesn't make anyone, he hasn't created anyone to operate in vile affection. God is not the cause, okay? 
he's not making the people do what this section is describing. Rather, man is already doing it. At the Tower of Babel, back there in Genesis 11, man had already dismissed the word of God to them. He had told them to scatter. They said, no, we're going to make a name and stay. You see, man, God, God says, I'll give you what you want because you're already doing it. So like when you read verse 27, and likewise also verse 26, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. I, I love that word nature. Because in verse 27, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their own, their lusts one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense to their error, which was meet. You see, when you start talking about the homosexual and the gay movement and all that, they say they were born that way. They say they have a chromosome that does this and that. And you know what Romans 1 says? That ain't true. God did not make them do that. He didn't create them that way. They were already doing it. They were already, I gave you up to it. That's why it's important those three times God gave them up to uncleanliness. God gave them up unto vile affections. God gave them over to a rep. They're already there. I didn't create you gay. <laughs> you were wanting that. Now, notice a couple illustrations of this aspect. Come back with me to Psalms 81. Because what happened I mean, several years ago when this stuff was all hot and heavy, you know, everybody's like, oh, I'm created. No, Romans 1 says man was already doing it. You wanted it. God gave it to you. Let you go to it. He didn't stop it. He just let you be. Why? Because man doesn't want God. Man has rebelled against it, so God says, okay, I'll give you what you want. By the way, what does God want for all men? To be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So if there is a homosexual person or a gay person or a lesbian, you know, the alphabet that they sing out there, what does God really want to happen in those people's lives? They want them to get saved. You see, you and I don't have to yell at them about their lifestyle. we got to yell at them about the gospel. <laughs> because once you get them saved, then the word of God will clean them up. Get them saved. We don't have to rail and have an agenda. And somebody here a couple, several years ago when all that kind of hit asked me about it. And I said, my agenda is to get them the gospel. they got to get saved. God will take care of the rest of that stuff. They start reading this and learning and studying it doesn't mean we condone what they're doing, and God is not condoning that. He's rather saying, hey, I gave you up to it. You are already there. That issue of up to it. Look, look, look at here at, at uh, Psalms 81. <clears throat> you want it? Go for it. And that's what's going to happen here. Verse 11, Psalms 81, 11. But my people, Israel, would not hearken to my voice. And Israel would none of me. How, look at Israel. What did they, we want none of you. We don't want you. 
We want the Baal. We want the idols. We want the religion. So, verse 12, I gave them up unto their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. See that in verse 12? That's what Paul's saying in Romans 1. You didn't want me. You wanted something else. I gave it up to you. You We're already looking at it, already there, already moving to it. I gave it to you. Come over to Acts 7. Notice Stephen's going to say a similar thing. Acts 7. Acts chapter 7 and verse 42. Acts 7, 42. Acts 7, 42. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrificed by the space of 40 years in the wilderness? The quote there. But notice that beginning of that verse. God turned and gave them up to worship the house, the host, sorry, of heaven. That's not worshiping him. That's, that's worshiping the sun god and the moon god. Governor Moonbeam. <laughs> I think about that and I hear that. They worship uh, the Big Dipper, the Little Dipper. What are some of the guys? Zeus and all those guys out there. Uh, Orion, yeah, you know, the belt and the, the, the turtle and this and all. We're worshiping that. What, is he, what did he do to Israel? He gave them up to it. They didn't want him. He let, and that's the idea. Come over to 2 Thessalonians 2. Here's, a, here's, a, here's the judgment. 2 Thessalonians 2. You see, so in Romans 1, Paul has laid in the charge God gave you guys testimony, he gave you light, he gave you a witness, internally, externally, and you guys messed it up. So God gave you what you wanted. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 11. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. God looks over there in, in the Old Testament talking about that Antichrist, and he says he's a rod of my indignation. He's going to go do what I need him to do to purge out that nation of Israel, get the, the dross out of it, to get the rebel out of it. He's going to be doing it, thinking he's doing it, but he's really doing my, what I need done. He's a rod in my, my hand. God says, boy, what a judgment. He didn't kill anybody. He didn't wipe them out again. He just let them go. Now come back to Romans 1 and watch what man did. Romans 1. So what does humanity do? Well, verse 21, first thing they do is they degrade God. They degrade the glory of God. Verse 21 there, but that, but that, um, sorry, because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, 
neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into the birds and the four-footed beasts. And so they came along, and they take God's glory, and they degrade it. They carnalize it. And when man does that, when man takes God's glory and degrades it, then they instantly begin to degrade their own glory themselves. And that's what we have in verse 24 to 28, where you see a description of humanity degrading themselves. They, they dishonor their own bodies. I, I don't know if you think about, in, in Psalms he says about Adam, he says there's a glory there about man. There's a glory that God made for man. Not, a, not his glory, but he, I'm, I was trying to think of the Psalm this morning, but the thing is, is, he sits there and he gave man a glory. Man was to be a king and, and to rule and to reign in the earth and to subdue it and to have control over it. And he was to have some, there's some glory in it. They're, they are a vessel of honor, but what did they do? What has humanity done? They've degraded it. They, they've come along, they've taken the very vessels that God had created and designed for, for man to have glory and they, they went into vile affections. They went over to a reprobate mind. They dishonored that. So when they de degraded God's glory, the natural result is for them to degrade themselves. Follow that? That's what's going on in verse 25, 26, 27, 28 there. The natural use is now gone. How'd they get there? They said, we don't want God. We won't like to retain God in our knowledge. God gave them up to that. Said, you don't want me? That's fine. I'll pick out a group of people over here that'll be my people. We'll go right over there. And he does. And we see the history. We understand what happened to Israel. They followed, they wanted to be like the Gentiles when they weren't supposed to be. So God says, here's the deal. Now watch, look at verse 29. Now. They've degraded God's glory. They've degraded the glory that God designed for man to have in the earth. The earth belongs to man. And now, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God. See, they know that there's a God. They know that there's something out there that's bigger than them that's going to sit in judgment of it. They that which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, you see, man, humanity is worthy of the wrath of God. That's the point in these indictments. But notice how verse 32 ends. Not only do they do the stuff in the list, but have pleasure in them that do them. 
man doesn't want God. Look, man got rid of God, replaced it with this list here in verse 29, 30, 31. And they have degraded down into enjoying seeing others join them. Paul is laying out here. God is saying, man is worthy of wrath. And here's the evidence. They're being filled with it. They've come along and they have allowed, they've said, we don't want God. God says, okay, I'll give you what you want. And they've just degenerated all the way down in. And what you're seeing in the list here, they, they were, they're doing, by the way, verse 25, did you get him? <laughs> I hope so. He's been bugging me too. In, in verse 25, that is a verse Romans 1.25, that sums up the lie program, okay? Satan's program. We're going to change the truth of God. We're going to worship the creature. Man began, man's biggest, probably say this again here in a minute, man's biggest idol is themselves. So what they do? Well, I would like to have him or I would like to have her. And then they just go. All being filled, verse 29. Uh, come over to Matthew 15. We're going to run just a little longer, but that's okay. Matthew 15, because we're almost down here. Notice what the Lord says about this. Matthew 15, when he says being filled, this is all inside. They have replaced that internal testimony with all of that stuff in that list in 29 to 32. Matthew 15, look at verse 11. The Lord speaking here, out of verse 10 there. He called the multitudes and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth man. So what's defiling man, right? Drop down to verse 18. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. He's rebuking the Pharisees again. What defiles the man? What's going on inside of him? The heart issue. Mark chapter 7. You see... There's a heart issue with man. There's something going on inside of man. Mark 7 and verse 15. Mark 7, verse 15. There is nothing from without a man that entereth into him can defile him. So you can sit and listen to what's going on around you, and, it, and, and you can have it not impact you. You have to make a choice. It's a choice of the heart because the rest of the verse. But the things which come out of a man, those are they that defile the man. You see, you can sit around today and in the, in the, come over to Luke 11, and you can listen to all the junk going on today, and you can literally look, listen to it and have it not impact you 
if what's inside of you is bigger and greater and better. See? Luke 11. Luke 11, verse 38. And when the Pharisees saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. (laughs) And the Lord said unto him, Now do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. Ye, notice that, fools. Now what does Paul say in Romans 1? Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Ye fools, did not he that made that which is without make that which is within also. So when you come back to Romans 1, what you were reading here, is where God comes in and he says, listen, here is the effect of what man did. Man was holding the truth in unrighteousness. And there's a movement where they become fools. They they reject the witness given to them internally, externally. God then, then they come over here and they degrade God's glory. And God says, okay, wait a minute. If that's what you want, I'm going to give it to you. So he gave them up to that. They were already doing it. They were already moving that way. And then man just simply begins to degrade. They degrade themselves. And what you see, especially in that list in verse 29 to 32 there, is you see the degenerative nature of sin. It gets worse and worse. It's never going to get any better. See that? So much so that at the end of verse 32, they have pleasure in them that do them. You know, hell, hell's not a nice place. The lake of fire is not going to be a nice place. We, we read the passages like Isaiah 66 there, where the, worm, where the fire's not quenched and the worm dieth not. That worm, that's maggots. You know, they come in as Superman, big guys, and they end up as maggots. Lucifer the most beautiful creature that God created. He's the, one that, he's the cherub that covereth. And you read his description, he was beautiful, full of wisdom. And he turns out to be a dragon and a, and a snake and a leviathan. He went from top of the world to now being... Lower than a snake's belly in a wagon rut. <laughs> I heard, what'd you say? The offscurring. Yeah, you know, and so much so that, you know, you, you look at the man's Im- imagination of what he looks like. What do they usually have? He's not a beautiful creature, is he? He's grotesque. But yet if he were to walk in here, you know what he would look like? Because he can transform himself into an angel of light. He would look okay. He would look like he looked to Eve. And down he goes. Now, verse 27, real quick. Because uh, basically at the end of verse 32 there, man is worthy of God's wrath. And in God's estimation, he's, he's ready to clean, clean the clock with them. So what does he do? He reaches over, Genesis 12, calls out his own people, and he's got a different plan. He's, the plan's always there, okay? Now, verse 27, again, is a a lot said about this verse. And I just want to catch with you real quick 
this issue of the recompense of their error in the, at the end of that verse. Because what people usually say is the recompense of their error, God was getting the, the homosexual crowd, the gays, the lesbians, the LGBTQ, whatevers, when he invented the disease called AIDS. So God was getting them when he gave them AIDS. No, that's not what it, God didn't create any of that. See, rather, really, the recompense of their evil is really verse 29 to 32. That downward spiral of just getting them more and more. And when you give in to sin, sin breeds more sin. And it's more and more. Come over to Jeremiah 7. We'll just a couple verses, and I know we'll be a few minutes longer, but we'll, we'll be okay. We're not singing and having a halftime, a half, happy hour. Jeremiah 7. When you, if, when you give in to sin, sin breeds sin. It's more and more. They've, they've create, they have stuff in Romans 1, a perverse and vile behavior. They've changed the natural use of everything. And it just gets intensifies. And it leads to, to greater bondage, actually. You know, they, they need the more and more. When they, when they talk about legalizing marijuana and the drug stuff, and they, and they talk about a gateway drug, it's interesting you get here, and you get a little going, and what do you need? Now I need a little more. So now we move off of this drug into another drug. You know, the opioid thing with the painkillers and everything. The, why? Because what does your old flesh want? It's a pig. More and more and more. I didn't get a good enough high, so get me some more. So they look for ways to maintain what they've got and get more. Jeremiah 7 Notice verse 24, Jeremiah 7, 24. But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil heart and went, which way? Backward and not forward. Oh, we're making grace, great progression. We're making progress. Woohoo! And God's sitting there going, no, dude, you're going the wrong way. <laughs> Oh, aren't you one of the enlightened ones? Come over to Isaiah 30. Aren't you one of the enlightened ones? Don't you know what's really going on here? Isaiah 30. You know, come on, Rick. Don't you guys, don't you Christians down there ever get tired of that old book? And Let's get into the 21st century. God says you're going the wrong way, dude. Isaiah 30. Look at verse 1. Isaiah 30 and verse 1. Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord. That, that counsel, I'm sorry, that take counsel, but not of me. And that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. It spirals. They're adding sin to sin. The recompense of their evil. The recompense has to do Really, there in 30 verse 1, that issue of coverings, layers. 
They just keep adding to it. It just gets getting deeper and deeper. Come back to Romans 1 and deeper and deeper. The idea is that, is that the, really the idea of all of this is in Galatians 6 over there about the law of the harvest. In Galatians 6 there, verse 7 and 8, about you're going to reap what you sow. When you think about the law of the harvest, if you're going to sow tomato plants, what are you going to get? Tomato plants, okay? So you're going to reap what you do sow, I'm so, okay? But do you, just get one plant, well, do you just get one piece of fruit or do you get a whole bunch? Well, the goal is to get a whole bunch. Do you get it that day or do you got to wait a week or three or a month or two? You see, the law of the harvest, you reap what you sow, you're always going to reap more than you sow, and you're going to reap much later than you sowed it. You know, be, be sure that your sin will find you out. It's going to come. So when you come back to Romans 1, that recompense of their evil, it isn't God giving them AIDS, okay? That's just a degenerative nature of that activity, Okay, where the where things just said enough, <laughs> we're gonna. This is what's gonna come. God didn't give the corona to get you, clean. You know, God didn't send a hurricane down there. You know, I love that thing about Katrina, where right after it happened, oh God went after New Orleans because they held the gay convention and all this stuff. Well, then God's off a little bit because that convention was like something like two or three weeks earlier. You know, plus it missed them. It really hit Mississippi, not New Orleans. You know, it's just all this stuff. Because what has man done? We're replacing God, and here's our vain imaginations. So verse 25 to 28 here is all about self-worship, which is exactly what Satan wants. Satan comes along and says, I'm your friend. I'm here for you. I'm on your side. That big guy over there, that God thing over there, he doesn't like you. He doesn't want you there. I've got the information. You want, and you know what they do? They say, yep, we'll take it, hook, line, and sinker, and off they go. In verse 29 to 32 describes the effect of that self-worship, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And the whole of it is verse 25, because that's the, that's the lie. They change the truth of God. Verse 18, they're holding the truth and unright. They're holding it down, suppressing it. In verse 25, now, they got, now they're changing it so that they can go and worship and serve who? The creature. Self-worship. The biggest idol is man. That's why that mirror is called a vanity mirror. A vanity. Empty. There. Okay? Now, we're out of time because the morning's up, but We'll go back up next time and we'll look at the three parts of man here and what's happening here because when it's the whole of humanity, the whole of man, 1 Thessalonians 5, the body, the spirit, the soul, and the body, it's not just a piece of him, it's all of it. We'll look at that next time, okay? All right. I don't think any of you thought I'd get through, through that many verses, but... Uh, there's a lot in there, and there's a lot to kind of unpack, but my goal really isn't to get bogged down in it. Just see the big. Here's what's going on, okay? I think we all know what backbiters and haters of God are and stuff like that. I don't think you need to run down through a, a dictionary here, so, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the in, insight into uh, your judgment. 
you're thinking about humanity. One, so that we can say thank you for winking at that time and giving us the opportunity to trust you and to serve you. But then two, also to understand how man around us is thinking. And we'll just give you the praise and the honor and glory in that so that we know how to deal with them and that they simply need to be and hear the gospel. And then we'll be uh, true to that part of our ambassadorship. And we'll just give you the honor. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. We'll take